Good job, kids. Thank you. It's always a challenge to get back up on stage when all these kids have been up here, and I hope I don't get excited and knock some of these boxes off. Um, Glad you're here today, and it's good to be together as we worship God and uh, celebrate what God's done and is doing in the life of this church. And every time we have one of these uh, Operation Christmas Child or any time the kids come up and and play uh, an important part in our services, I'm always reminded back when I was serving with a church in Indianapolis and uh, Jane and I, our three kids were young and our oldest daughter brought a gift up on stage very similar to this and she wouldn't let go of it. And they had to wrestle it out out of her hand. So I'm always... I'm always, my heart always goes out to these kids and out to the parents that are watching these kids to make sure that they uh, don't drop or hand over at the right time. But uh, it's, it's good to be here. And we wanna thank all of you who participated as well in the Operation Christmas Child as we partner with Samaritan's Purse to continue to bridge the gap to those in our world, maybe on the other side of the world, maybe people we'll never meet but just as a way for us to remind them of God's love and the hope that Jesus brings. We as a church wanna make a difference in this world. And that's why we pray, that's why we give, that's why we go into this community, but why we uh, go into the world to make a difference. Next week, we're going to have our annual Thanksgiving special offering so that we can make a significant step beyond our weekly budget to make a difference. This year, we have a big, big faith goal of $100,000. It's the biggest goal we've set for one of these special offerings that we've had over the past 20 years. And we're praying that uh, we will be able to collect that amount above and beyond our normal weekly offering next weekend. As we shared last week, next weekend, we're gonna do something that's rare for us. We're gonna actually pass the baskets twice, once earlier in the service for the special offering, and then at the end, as we typically do for our regular offering. And each week leading up to this special offering, we focused on a different part of this special offering so you can know what this, uh, these designated funds will go toward. The first week we looked at our commitment to give 24% or 24,000 of that 100,000 to our uh, mission partners outside this church, uh, uh, our El Salvador uh, partner church as we hope to buy land for them that they can buy, uh, build a future building, but also uh, to help build hope by uh, partnering with Habitat for Humanity to build some homes for people in need. Last week, we talked about some exterior improvements needed on the building, and we talked about that. But we also want to set aside to purchase some equipment so that we can begin doing some uh, live streaming. That's the next slide of our, uh, no, not that one, the next one. There you go. Uh, So there you go for live streaming for uh, our services and special events here at Southwest. We've had special events and people said, is that going to be online? And typically it's not, but uh, we want to be able to have those, that possibility. And finally, we want to look for ways we can more effectively bridge the gap through our digital footprint and our online presence 
And so we're just looking for ways to make a bigger splash, make a bigger impact, to make a difference in this community, in the world. So we wanna ask you to be praying about that. Be praying about this special offering and be praying about your part in this big effort as a church. Also next Sunday, in addition to the special offering, we're gonna have an opportunity to amend the bylaws. We talked about that a number of weeks ago and we have copies of the proposed bylaw revisions. And so you'll have an opportunity to to confirm or not confirm that. And also, This year we have one elder, uh, Jordan Barnhart, and two leadership team members, Scott LeBlanc and Theda Sampson. Their names are in the bulletin who are willing to continue to serve in the roles that they've been leading if confirmed by the congregation. And I'm also grateful we have two individuals who've come through the current nomination process to be officially recommended by the leadership team and elders to be recognized as new elders here at Southwest. And that's Paul Breyer, Uh, Here's a picture of him and also Mike Myers. And both of these guys have been serving in the church in a number of areas. Both of them uh, lead or co-lead small groups and they're ready to take that step. And we as a leadership team and elders have said, we believe these are two individuals that would be good to add to our elder team. And you'll have an opportunity uh, to confirm them next week. We wanna ask you to pray. We want to ask you to plan for this special day next Sunday. And if for some reason you can't be here next week and you know that in advance, you can see one of our leadership team members, you can get an absentee ballot. If you want to participate in the special offering, but you know you're not going to be here next week, we also have envelopes available uh, for that as well out in the lobby at the welcome table. So with that said, uh, there's a lot to uh, to digest and a lot to think about as we think about next weekend, which is a big weekend, Celebration Sunday. And we want to encourage you to be praying and planning for that. With that said, let's pray about that. And then we'll uh, get into our message for today. So let's pray together. Dear God, thank you for what a great God you are. Thank you for how you have had your hand on this church. There's no question in my mind at all about that, Lord. And we give you praise for how you've been at work in the life of this church throughout our history. And Father, we thank you for how we see your hand at work uh, in the current, and we believe you'll continue to guide us in the future. But we do ask for wisdom. We ask for wisdom for each member as we process our role in these confirmation processes for leaders and and uh, even the the bylaw uh, provisions. But Father, we also wanna pray for our special offering next week. We've really prayed and thought about ways we could have a greater impact in the world, in this community, and we pray that you'll bless this special offering uh, to enable that to become a reality. And so just help each of us search our hearts and see how we can be a part of that, Lord. And so I pray for your blessing Uh, On the rest of our time, I I pray, Father, as we open up your word, as we learn from uh, just a fascinating character uh, described in scripture, that we'll look at his life, that we'll think about it, that we'll see how we can apply things we can learn from his life to our life. And grant me the wisdom to know how to communicate these scriptures and these thoughts in a way that, uh, Father, you'll really speak through me and speak through this time. So we pray for your blessing 
uh, on the rest of our time together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna go ahead and dismiss our sixth through eighth graders as we have a class for you in the student wing. Now, appropriately today, with all the things we're talking about, we're going to examine the role of commitment as how commitment makes a difference in our desire to be difference makers. And as we examine commitment, we're going to highlight a biblical character that's described throughout the Bible, a guy named Elijah. Now, Elijah is this fascinating character in the Bible who in many ways represents the commitment of the biblical prophets. Elijah was this bold prophet that is later pointed to, in fact, uh, even referenced when people are describing John the Baptist and even Jesus. And he's the prophet that represents all the prophets that shows up on the Mount of Transfiguration to exalt Jesus, and that's recorded in all four Gospels. We read about the life of this fascinating guy, Elijah, in the Old Testament books of First and Second Kings. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. And we're introduced to him in First Kings 17. Now, before we read this introduction of Elijah, let's get our historical bearings, if you will, of where this story and where he lived in the course of human history. Uh, Elijah is called by God to be a prophet or a truth teller during the reign of Ahab, the king of Israel. Ahab is a king that, that ruled in Israel around 850 BC. And the Bible describes Ahab as the most evil king that Israel had ever had. Now that's saying a lot because some of them hadn't been very good, okay? And so, but Ahab is the most evil of all the kings that had ruled. And if that were not enough, he married this woman named Jezebel who worshiped foreign gods. And specifically, she worshiped the God, uh, the false god, Baal. And Ahab even built a temple in Israel uh, for the worship of this false god, Baal, if you can imagine that. So instead of worshiping the God of Israel alone, he builds a temple in Israel so that this false god, Baal, could be worshiped. Now, Baal was considered a fertility god. And uh, he was the one that was thought to have power over the weather. So it's not surprising that when Elijah comes on the scene, he pronounces to Ahab that the God of Israel was the one in charge, not Baal, the false God that many considered to be the one that controlled the weather. And in this initial commissioning of Elijah as a prophet and his call to commitment, if you're taking notes, it begins with a call to trust, a call to trust. Let's read as we're introduced to this guy, Elijah, in 1 Kings 17, verse 1. It says, Now Elijah the Tishbite said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. 
You will drink from the brook and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. So what do we see here? God speaks through Elijah to Ahab, the king, and all of Israel to to declare that God, not Baal, is in control of the weather. And that to prove that, it won't rain for the next few years. We also see this drought, drought, excuse me, is going to impact Elijah as well. And yet God calls him to trust that he will take care of him. So God calls Elijah to go out and live in this ravine at one of the smaller brooks that stream into the Jordan River and that the Lord will miraculously take care of Elijah. Now, if we had time to read the entire chapter 17, which is a fascinating chapter, by the way, if you've never read this story, you might want to, uh, this afternoon, this evening, read 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19. It's a fascinating read. We see that God does provide for Elijah in a miraculous way through a discouraged widow that's a surprising character in this story and also through ravens, obviously not the Baltimore kind, but the Israelite kind, okay? Uh, But he has these ravens bring uh, Elijah food. I like how God works with Elijah to develop his faith. And I believe that he'll do the same thing in our lives. You see, I think that God invites us to relationship. It's a relationship where we're called to trust him. And out of that trust, we're called to make a commitment to him. But I think sometimes churches, I think sometimes Christians, I think sometimes preachers like myself can make a mistake of calling people to a commitment before there's a trust that's been cultivated. Now see, we understand that in our lives, we understand that in our families. We see this with children as parents develop a trust in their children. Why? Because they provide for them, they protect them. And over time, that trust is developed so that the child then is willing to truly trust the parents and then make some commitments. You see this every summer when children will jump off the side of a pool into the waiting arms of a parent. Even if the child can't swim, the child will say, I trust mom, I trust dad. Well, this week I had the privilege to attend my almost two and a half year old granddaughter's gymnastics class. And by the way, mark your calendars for 2032, okay, Olympics. I'm just saying. I think, I think we're seeing glimpses here of something special. Of course, I'm just an unbiased report here. But, but I watched her jump on a trampoline, swing on a bar, and then walk on this narrow beam. And most of the kids would hold on to their parents' hand, but my granddaughter, she was brave. But why? Because her daddy, my son, was right there beside her to catch her. It gave her great confidence. But because of that trust, it was fun to watch her also after each event, she would celebrate with my son, you know. She's got it down. I mean, after she does anything, she goes, ta-da! She's got got the final move. We just gotta get all the routine before the final move down. 
But what do we see? We see with kids, they trust their parents, and because of that, they're willing to take bold steps. They're willing to have the courage to try new things. God calls us to trust Him. God calls us to obey Him as Elijah did, to trust and follow His teachings, to have the confidence that our Father in heaven will catch us if we'll take those bold, courageous steps. Here at Southwest, we wanna teach our children and students that we've been blessed with that the Lord is a trustworthy God. And unfortunately, they are growing up in a world that we see war and violence and threats of violence. And that makes me sad, as I'm sure it does many of you. And yet I think in the midst of the uncertainty of our world, it is so, so important that we as parents, we as a church, instill in the children and the teens that we can influence that God is a God who we can trust. And that God is a God who cares for us. And God will be with us. And that should give us courage in the midst of sometimes a fearful world. And since we desire our children to make a lifetime commitment to follow God's Son, to trust and obey Jesus and His teachings, it's important that our children see in their parents and see in the adults that they look up to that we have an overriding trust and confidence in the Lord. It's important that they see in the parents a commitment in their lives where the, they would describe us as parents, as devoted, committed followers of Jesus and not simply fans of Jesus when it's convenient. In fact, I want you to ask yourself today, how would, how would your kids really describe you as just a fan of Jesus when it's convenient that, yeah, you show up? Or are you committed through thick and thin? Are you committed to Jesus at the very core of your being because you trust him and you trust that God will provide for you if you'll take bold steps of faith? You see, that's the, I think the foundation for obedience is trust. So after a time of trust building in which God provides for Elijah in an amazing, miraculous way, you might wanna go back and read it. Elijah's now ready to take a bold step as a prophet. And if you're taking notes, the second call is the call he makes to an entire nation, a call to a decision. In 1 Kings 18, in verse 20, we read, so Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel, then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. What do you see here? We see the people at a point of indecision. See, I think it's important for us to understand that Ahab probably never quit worshiping the God of Israel in some degree or fashion. He just 
had that polluted or watered down by worshiping other gods in addition to the God of Israel. And Elijah, whose name means, I think it's interesting, Elijah's name means, my God is Yahweh, which is the name of the God of Israel, the God we worship. And, and Elijah, whose name means my God is Yahweh, says, quit wavering, quit going back and forth, quit hobbling, or as some translations read, quit limping along in life because your heart and your devotion is divided. Quit being divided between God, the God of the Bible, God of Israel, and Baal. See, there's a place for calls to decision. Elijah called the people of his day, make a decision once and for all. Are you gonna worship God or not? Are you gonna put God first or not? Maybe that's a call that some of us need to hear today. Because you see, if we're not careful, we can allow idols to creep into our life. Now, we don't call them gods, but, but they really are. Maybe it's work, maybe it's career, maybe it's family, maybe it's youth sports, maybe it's money. You fill in the blank, but there's always these, these false gods that tend to crop up that we get our attention and can divide our affection and love and devotion from the God that we're called to worship and put first and foremost. There's a place for a call to decision. Next weekend during our celebration Sunday, we're inviting people here at Southwest who've been thinking about for some time, possibly making that decision to be baptized, to go for it. Now we have water ready every weekend because we wanna always be ready if anybody's ready to make that decision. And we've had almost 100 people go through either kids discovery class or, or student baptism class or our starting point class. In fact, we're gonna offer all those coming up here and you can see in the bulletin, the starting point class for adults is this Thursday. We're providing these opportunities for people to, to know what it is to, to make that personal commitment to Jesus, to, to believe in him, to, to have a change of heart. The Bible describes it as repentance, to confess him as Lord and Savior, and to, to truly surrender to him in all things and to be baptized, trusting in Jesus. And some of you have known about that and you've been just kind of sitting on the fence thinking, okay, I'll get around to that one of these days. Why not make this next weekend, Celebration Sunday, a decision once and for all that you're gonna take yourself off the throne and put Jesus on the throne of your heart. That you're gonna quit wavering between the, the opinions of people around you and you're gonna decide to resolve to follow Jesus first and foremost in your life and to make that decision to surrender to him in baptism. We'd love to assist you if you're ready to make that decision. And we hope a number will make that decision next Sunday. Now with that said, many of you have already made that decision. You've surrendered your life to Jesus. There was a time where you stood up in front of a group of people, whether it was two or three or whether it was two or 300 and you confessed Jesus as Lord and you were baptized, that's great. But have you stuck with that decision? Have you followed through? Have you begun to, to slide back 
Maybe for you this weekend and next weekend is a time to recommit yourself to that, that decision to surrender to Jesus in all things and put him first and to no longer waver or limp along in life, but truly to be a wholehearted follower of Jesus. See, we wanna be disciples of Jesus here at Southwest. We wanna make disciples, leading other people to commit to Jesus' leadership in their life because I believe the best way to be a difference maker is to be a disciple maker. This week in our, in our small groups, we're gonna finish out this six week series. We've been talking about being a difference maker. And the difference maker declaration for this week is, I am a difference maker in Jesus' name, amen. And I think we could substitute very easily the word disciple maker there for difference maker and it would read very powerfully. And will you just say with me, I'm a difference maker in Jesus' name. Can you say that? And I'm not real good at this, but I'm gonna try one more time. I'm a difference maker in Jesus' name, amen. How powerful is it for a whole church to come together and say, we wanna make a difference in Jesus' name. I've been encouraged by so many of you who've stepped up during this series. I, I was encouraged yesterday. Uh, Emmy Armstrong, one of our singers up here on stage, just God put it on our heart to put backpacks together for children that might have needs. And, and so she had some people in her home yesterday putting together 50 backpacks. Just God put that on her heart. I, I appreciate that. I'm thankful for difference makers here at Southwest I'm thankful when I think of them, I think of our current elders. Here we see Jordan Barnhart and his wife, Tina, Joe Garland and his wife, Cindy Cowtown and his wife, Lynn and Lee Wagner and his wife, Sherry. These guys have been great support to me along with their wives have come along so many people here at Southwest providing support, encouragement and shepherding in people's lives. In fact, beginning this month, the first, first Sunday of November, we began providing another level of support when it comes to prayer and care. Each week, a different elder and a team that they've gathered together of prayer warriors are just going to be available at the end of each service to simply listen, care, and pray with any individual who might be facing a difficult time in their life. Or maybe there's somebody that's just got somebody on their heart that they wanna see become a Christian, that they wanna lead to faith and, and they can be available to pray with you for them. If you have a prayer need, if you have a decision to make and you would just like somebody to come alongside you to pray with you, we wanna encourage you at the end of each service on Sundays, uh, they'll just be stationed. One of our elders with a team of people, and they'll have these vests on just to kind of represent there's somebody safe to come and talk to. And, and if you're a little bit shy and you're timid and you think, well, I don't know if I could walk up to somebody I don't know, then you can just kind of sit in your seat after the service is over and they'll come up to you when it's evident that you're just kind of waiting for somebody to come and pray with you. You see, we want to be a church that is committed to prayer. And we wanna be committed to praying for people as they go through tough times. 
You see, Elijah was a man who was committed to prayer. And that's our third blank to fill in. We see in Elijah's life a call to prayer. We see this emphasis throughout scripture. We see it in the first Kings 17 and 18 story, but we also see it in the New Testament, the book of James, when the inspired writer talks about the call to be humble and to pray, he points to the example of Elijah. In James 5 verse 16, it reads this way. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I'm just gonna pause there for a minute. You might wanna underline that in your Bible or in your notes. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I'm just gonna say this. Do you see the need for others to be praying for you? I do. I'm grateful for our elders because I come to them and share with them things that they can be praying for me about. I'm grateful for accountability partners in my life that I can talk to and say, will you pray for me about this? Will you pray for this member of my family that's going through a difficult time? Will you pray for this uh, struggle that I'm having in my life? I've seen personally the impact of having people pray for me and I'm grateful for it. And from time to time, I'm humbled because somebody will come to me and say, will you pray for me? And I'm honored to do that. Because you see, God's word says there's power when someone that really is seeking God will bring someone else's name before him and ask for specific requests. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Are you, are you leaning into that verse? Verse 17, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. Now that's powerful prayer, to pray and it stops raining. And then until you pray for it to rain, it doesn't rain again. Now that is a powerful prayer life. We want to be a church that it leans into this power of prayer. We want to be a church that, that, that learns how desperately we need an all-powerful God to intervene in our lives and to make up that difference when we find ourselves so lacking. And as we look forward to next weekend's Celebration Sunday, as we look forward to the whole process of affirming and confirming leaders, as we look forward to the special offering, as we look at this big, hairy, audacious goal of $100,000 that we've got up there on special offering, I tell you what, I'm feeling my need to pray. And in fact, we wanna invite the entire church to be joining us in these prayers. In fact, in the prayer list in the bulletin, you'll see at the top of the prayer list, uh, a list of things to pray about each day during the weeks of uh, this coming week of November 18th through 22nd. And if you look at Monday's focus, you'll see a term that we introduced a few weeks ago when we looked at the difference maker, Esther, of this biblical practice and spiritual discipline of fasting. 
Now, fasting is something, as I confessed that week we talked about Esther, is not something I've been real good at because I just like to eat. You know, I mean, I, it's, it's hard for me to say, I'm gonna give up food for 24 hours to pray about something. And, and honestly, at times, I've just not been that spiritually motivated. And I hate to confess that to you. But this is a topic, a spiritual discipline that I've really begun to investigate and study and be challenged by. And so I've been reading a book about it. And, and I, in fact, I was so inspired by this book that I bought a copy of it for each of our leaders here at Southwest and invited them to, to join me in, in researching the subject of prayer and fasting. And, and if you want to just give the real Reader's Digest version of what fasting is, fasting is simply giving up something good for something better to give up physical food for a spiritual breakthrough. Whether it be a spiritual breakthrough in our individual lives or our life as a church. So I've given the challenge to all of our leaders here at Southwest to take Monday, take tomorrow as a day of prayer and fasting. To pray that God will break through next weekend in an amazing way. And we want to invite all of you who are willing to take that challenge to join us in a special day, asking God to break through in an amazing way next weekend, the month ahead, and the year ahead. You see, I'm just beginning to get a glimpse and get a sense that God's got some great things in store for us as a church. But I'm beginning to recognize that I've relied way too much on my own strength and my own work ethic or hard work up to this point. And I think the Elijah story reminds me that there's times where, where Elijah just was to wait on God. There's times where we do less and wait for God to do more and to trust that God will do more. And I think that's why this whole subject of prayer and fasting is really been inspiring to me because in my personal life and in the life of the church, I'm, I'm longing for some spiritual breakthroughs. I'm longing for God to intervene in miraculous ways. And I know that that's not something we can manufacture. It's not something we can just say will happen, it'll happen. We've got to ask big things of God. And we've got to trust that God is a big God, the same God that could stop rain for three and a half years and then make it rain upon Elijah's prayer request. We've got to trust that that same God is waiting and longing for people of faith to come along and say, we're going to trust you, God. And we're going to ask big things of you. Will you join me in that pursuit? You know, we talked about, well, I'll, I'll hold off on that, but... If nothing else, we're, I'll hit this on our last point, but if nothing else, even if we don't meet the goal next week, and I want to meet the goal, this whole process will cause us grow closer to the God that we worship. And th at the end of the day, that's what's really important. That's what I long for in my life, and that's what I long for everyone here at Southwest, for us to be a people that are just drawing near to God and saying, God, we need you desperately. Yes, we want to be difference makers, but we understand that we can't make a difference in our own power. We need you to 
to step in and make the difference. Yet the amazing thing is if you read 1 Kings 18, it's a powerful story where there's this big showdown between Elijah and Ahab and, and God in a powerful way brings a victory. And then after this great victory, Elijah's discouraged. Isn't that the way it is? Sometimes after high highs, there's low lows. And possibly even Elijah's burnt out. And in that, there's this call to commitment, a, a call to our fourth blank to persevere. In 1 Kings 19, verse three, it says, Elijah was afraid. Why was he afraid? Because Jezebel, after Ahab had this showdown with, with uh, after Elijah had this showdown with Ahab, Jezebel puts out a contract on his life to kill him. So he's afraid and he flees for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone in the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But he was, as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some baked bread on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Now, this is a fascinating Bible story for us to consider on the subject of commitment. Yes, Elijah was just human just like us. And like us, he got fearful, he got discouraged, and he felt like giving up. And I think it's interesting that, that he was so low that he says, Lord, I've had enough. I think it's interesting that the Lord was there with Elijah as he retreats and as he sees his need to get some rest. In fact, we see the Lord providing nourishment for him through the angels to give him the rest and the nourishment that he needed. Now, is there anything wrong with taking a spiritual retreat and maybe even stepping back on a previous commitment to get strengthened again? No, I don't think there's anything wrong with that because I think God's present here with Elijah. And yet my concern is that sometimes people take a step back, take a spiritual retreat, and then they stay in retreat mode. And they never get back into the game. What's the purpose of retreating is to get healthy, to get strong, and to get back out there. My fear is sometimes in the name of burnout, people perpetually stay on the sidelines instead of getting back into the game. Maybe some of you, as I talk about commitment, you just say, I've been there, done that. And it didn't work for me. Well, maybe it's because you were trying to do it on your own power. And maybe what we need to learn from Elijah this week is we'll get burnout if we go on our own power. But if we learn to lean into God and his power, then he'll revive us and renew us and call us back into the game so that we can be truly a difference maker. Now we're told that Elijah has a 40 day, 40 night journey. You ever notice how 40 days keeps showing up in scripture? In fact, anytime that term 40 days shows up, it tells us God's about ready to do something big. 
In the midst of this perseverance, we ultimately see that God is calling Elijah, our last point, a call to relationship. In fact, I think this is what it leads to a lot of people's spiritual burnout, is they've not deepened that relationship with God. You see, it's easy to get a, become part of a church and start doing church stuff and start doing stuff that's asked upon you, but, but we're not doing it in, in God's strength. We're doing it on our own strength. And we've, quit to, we've forgot to quit drawing close to God. It appears that's the case with Elijah. And possibly one of his weaknesses is he was maybe a little too full of himself. He's a bit too self-reliant. And in the midst of that, we see God's ready to break through in Elijah's life by getting his attention. In 1 Kings 19, I love this passage. After this 40-day, 40-night trip to Sinai, the Lord breaks through. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. You see, sometimes we want those big mountaintop experiences. We want that big earth-shaking experience to confirm that the Lord is with us. And sometimes he makes himself known through the gentle whisper. Sometimes it's through the small, quiet voice that God speaks and says, I'm with you, go. Sometimes it's through that quiet voice that God gets our attention and reassures us to trust him, that he is worthy of our total heart commitment, that our big prayers will be answered if we ask them in, in, in faith, and that we can persevere during the tough times because in the end, he is our great reward. As you keep reading in Elijah's life, he goes on to be a difference maker in the lives of other people. Because he learned that at the end of the day, it's not always about the big stuff, it's about relationship with God and relationship with others. We close out every week here at Southwest with communion. And communion is a time for us to remember it's all about relationship. Now, will we be called upon to do Operation Christmas Child boxes, have special offerings, do outreaches in the community and do all kinds of things in Jesus' name. Yes, as God's people were called to do that. But that's all flows out of our relationship with him. And that's what I love about communion. It just, no matter what we're talking about, it calls us back to that reminder that we are invited to a relationship with the one who died for us, a one who was totally committed to us, one that we can trust, Jesus. And when we take the bread and we take the cup, we're reminded of that. But you see, communion is not just something we're to do in solo as an individual thing. We're called to do it as a community because we're reminded we're in this together. 
It's all about relationship. Let's allow this time of communion to be a time that we sit and reflect and remember God's love for us, Jesus' sacrifice for us. And let's examine our relationship with him. If we've been burnt out, if we've been wavering in commitment, let's allow this to be a time to renew our sights on the one who will revive us, the one who's worthy of all of our hearts. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for these these rich character studies we see in scripture of people like Elijah that were like us, but they, they trusted you and you worked through them powerfully to make a difference. We wanna be those kind of people, Lord. Help us during this time of communion to remember the difference you've made in our life through Jesus dying for us. Help us reflect on that. I remember your love and Jesus' sacrifice. And help us, Father, to resolve in our hearts that we will put you first and foremost in our life. And help us, Father, to be renewed in our relationship with you during this time of communion. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.